All right. We're going to continue. I know it's been a little while, but continue talking about prayer uh, in regards to the Alone with God book. And we started going through that last time on July 3rd. And we didn't get too far, but I thought we had some good conversation, so I figured we would keep going. I think uh, prayer is definitely one of the most important aspects of a Christian's life and sometimes one of the most neglected. So I was trying to remember where I cut off. If this is an over, overlap from what we touched on last time, unless you listen to the other uh, recording, you probably won't remember, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> All right, so again, this is in reference to the Alone with God book uh, by John MacArthur, talking about prayer, breaking down the, uh, what he refers to as the disciples' prayer in Matthew. One of the things that he says is, since the ultimate purpose of our salvation is to glorify God and bring us into intimate, rich fellowship with him, failure to seek God in prayer is to deny that purpose. Our fellowship with God is not meant to wait until we are in heaven. God's greatest desire and our greatest need is to be in constant fellowship with him now. And there is no greater expression or experience of fellowship than prayer. Any thoughts about that statement? What are the things that we've heard and said a thousand times that should make up a Christian's life, the most important aspects? Obviously, prayer being one. What are the others? Evan? Okay. Studying the Bible. Absolutely. Rob? Praise and thanksgiving. Okay. Praise and thanksgiving. Any others? Evan? Fellowship with other believers. Sandra? Okay. Meditation. There's one more that I can think of. Okay, that one too. <laughs> Discipleship. One more. What do you have to do before you can disciple? Yes, but we got to give the gospel, right? We got to share the gospel. So, I would say in general, those are probably the things that we would associate with a Christian's life. Obviously, getting saved, reading the Bible, praying, uh, sharing the gospel with others, meditating and studying the Word, having fellowship with other believers, not forsaking that fellowship. So, I don't know if how many people look at it this way. I kind of wait in my mind which ones are most important and say, okay, if this one's the most important, then I need to do that one more. And it's hard to gauge exactly what is most important because I think at certain times, one thing is more important than another. But what it seems to be is that prayer is an in an essence, 
the glue that holds all of those things together. So, if we're reading the Bible without prayer, we're not doing it right. If we're meditating on the Word and studying it, we're not and without prayer, we're not doing it right. If we're fellowshipping with other believers and giving the gospel to the unsaved without prayer, we're not doing it right. If we're praising God and thanking Him without prayer, again, we're not doing it right. So it seems to be, for lack of a better metaphor, the glue that holds everything together and the thing that almost covers all of the other things that we're supposed to do. Any other thoughts on the importance of prayer? All right. He says, Prayer is fitting at any time, in any posture, in any place, under any circumstance, and in any attire. So, in going through this in the class, I asked the question, does it matter when you're praying, uh, does it matter what time it is? No. But does the time play a role in how effective the prayer is, potentially? I would say yes. Um, does your posture always have to be the same? I wouldn't think so, but can your posture have a great impact on your prayer? Absolutely. I mean, praying in a lazy chair versus praying on your knees, I think there's going to be a little bit of a difference in your, in your heart's thoughts towards God. Um, praying in any place is, we would say, acceptable, right? But are there certain places where it might be more intimate with God? I would say yes. Um, you know, imagine the difference between being uh, in a bus with a whole bunch of people going someplace, someplace trying to pray versus, you know, going in your closet. A little bit different uh, effect, a little bit different intimacy. Now, if you can pray on a bus with a whole bunch of people around you with that same intimacy, praise God for that. <laughs> uh, all right, now how about any, under any circumstance? We would say we can pray under any circumstance, though, again, can, that, can those circumstances have an impact on how we're praying? Absolutely. So, for example, how many of you had something great happen this week. If you're not raising your hand, <laughs> you're not thinking clearly, because we all had something great, maybe just not, you know, extraordinary out of the normal, but we all had great things happen. How many had something difficult happen this week? Okay. So, do we ever notice that our prayers are a little bit different when something great happens? Or even things are just, you know, smooth versus something difficult happening? Are our prayers a little bit more intense when difficulty comes? Generally speaking, I think that's the case. So, our circumstances can play a role in how that, that communion with God is during prayer. 
how about in any attire? Again, I would say we, we should be able to pray in any attire, right? Does our attire, could our attire play a factor in that communion? What are some instances where attire may play a factor in regards to prayer? Mary, you got something? Oh, no? So, we are not a church that wears robes and headdresses and, you know, all of those different things. Uh, some churches do, and normally the people wearing those clothes are the ones that are doing prayers. In the Old Testament, the priests wore special garbs, and they were the ones a lot of times that led the prayer. We don't do that, but let me ask you a question. If pastor or um, somebody who was doing communion had a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops on and was leading prayer for the service, might that possibly have an impact on A, how they're praying, and B, how everybody else views that prayer? Possibly. So I think there are certain circumstances or environments where our attire can matter. But in general, I think we would say we can pray in any attire. So while all of those things, or I should say this way, while none of those things, none of the differences in those things would prevent us from being able to pray, I think we all realize that all of those things can play a role in how intimate our communion is with God. He says, for prayer to accomplish what God wants in our lives, it must be an all-consuming practice that makes alertness and perseverance its most valuable commodities. So consider this. Anyone ever have a, a day where they woke up, and maybe they woke up late, or they just woke up and didn't go to God, didn't read the Bible, didn't pray, and just went about their day, and maybe halfway through or later, they were just having a rough day, and they realized, man, I haven't spent any time with God today. Anybody ever have that happen? I know I've had that happen many times. I believe that, again, that prayer, we get power from that prayer, not, you know, like steroids or adrenaline per se, but the power to endure, the power to be able to get through and have the right perspective on things as we have more communion with God, as we spend more time uh, praying with Him. One thing, I'm listening to a book right now called None Greater, and he was talking about the eternal nature of God. And something that we talked about in the class was when we pray, is it for us or is it for God? So just curious, how many people would say the main impact for prayer is how it affects God? How many people would say 
It's how it affects us. All right, so consider this, if you're unsure. If God is eternal and God is outside of time, so he's not limited by time, he's not bound by time, he's not affected by time, to, be, to put it in a way for our finite minds to understand it, he doesn't see a difference between 10 years ago and 10 years from now. He sees it all as the same because he's outside of time. So if he is outside of time, would any one instance be, have a greater impact than another? I would say no, if we understand correctly his eternality, his everlasting nature, him being immutable, him being um, his aseity, his uh, uh, immeasurable, him being immeasurable, all of these things point to the fact that nothing affects him that we do, say, or think. And so the conclusion that I've come to tell me if you disagree or agree, is that because he is outside of time, our prayers, him knowing that we're going to pray, he's already, in a sense, answered because he knows that we're going to pray. He sees it all at once. And so there's no actual change in him, but it's the perseverance and it's when we see the answers to prayer that strengthens our faith and causes us to pray more. It's those difficulties. Again, he already knew those difficulties. I don't know if this happened, has happened to any of you, but you, know, you go through a trial and maybe you succumb to temptation and you make a decision to sin and then you just feel guilty and even though you ask for forgiveness, there's still this, this weight on you and that's the Holy Spirit, obviously, helping us to see the effects of our sin. But how many of you stopped and thought, wait a minute, God saved me, and he knew that I was still going to fail in this temptation. I guess I can find rest in him still and not be weighed down so much by that failure. Anybody ever had that thought? Anyways, my point is simply this. Because of what Christ did, we don't have to beat ourselves up continually. When we ask for him to forgive us, we know that he forgives us. And we know that, uh, like with the, um, the uh, which book was it? The Principal and the, and the Parental. Oh, that was the, I think it was the marriage book that we're going through. Sorry, too many books at once. Um, but it talks about the, the, oh no, I'm sorry, the judicial grace and then the, the parental grace. So, huh? Oh, is it? The, okay. It is this book. Uh, sorry, further chapter. But he talks about how when we're saved, he gives us the grace to be forgiven judicially, and that never changes our position with God, but um, there's this almost parental grace 
just like with a child and a parent, where when you sin, you still have to go to your parents to say, hey, I'm sorry, forgive me, to restore that communion, to restore that relationship. So it's judicially, there's never a break in salvation, but there is a break when there is sin without confession. So as we come to him and ask him to forgive us, we have the ability to still have that communion with him and be able to not be drugged down. Because, again, I don't know about you, but when I'm focusing on my sin, I'm not focusing on serving God. I'm just feeling bad. And I think understanding that when we ask for forgiveness, we have that judicial grace, we can, you know, not not ignore it like it never happened per se and, you know, not learn from it, but move on and be joyful, still have that joy and still serve him. So prayer helps us to be alert. Prayer helps us to persevere. He says, we are, spe- we are to pray specifically seeking an outcome, giving us an opportunity to praise him for his goodness and his grace. We are also to persist with earnestness, seeking what we know is good. So we've talked about this a lot in class. I believe that, and maybe, maybe we did get touch on this. I don't remember if we jumped ahead or if we got to this point last time. But I believe that every prayer, if done with a right understanding of what we're actually doing, should include some type of seeking of an outcome. So, for example, we've got flare prayers, and then we've got, you know, What's the other extreme? You know, spending a couple hours alone with God in prayer. So you've got these these two extremes and then everything in between. You know, maybe morning prayers a few minutes. Maybe you pray while you drive to work, and that's a little bit of time. Maybe we pray uh, before meals. We pray uh, as a church and groups. So we've got these different instances. Can anybody think of an instance where a prayer wouldn't include a seeking of an outcome. Rob? A praise? Okay. Okay, so simply a praise of thanksgiving. Mary? Okay. All right. So I would agree, but let me ask a question. How many people focus strictly on praise and thanksgiving in a prayer? I mean, do you do that regularly? Okay. I would say most people might include that in other prayers, but I would say most people probably don't only do that. So I guess that's my point, is... You know, yes, a prayer is going to include praise. It's going, it should include thanksgiving. But generally, the prayer is not just, con, just uh, made up of that praise and thanksgiving, right? Could be, 
but generally not. There, we generally throw in some things about us and you know other people. And so I guess that's my point: is when we are praying, whether it's a quick prayer, Lord help me, right, or it's a marathon prayer, we're just going through everything that's on your mind. In most cases, we should be seeking to see God work so that we can praise him. And I think this is where we, I can't remember if we talked about this uh, last time, but in regards to praying for meals, did we talk about that? Can't remember. So, use that as an example. In general, when we're praying for meals, are they normally seeking some type of uh, outcome? Okay, possibly a, a blessing. So, I would encourage you to consider when you pray, even for a meal, to seek a specific outcome. So, I would say a, a typical prayer might be something like, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. And uh, might be something else, but that's the general idea, right? I'm not saying there can't be an outcome from that, but can we see an outcome to that? How do we see an outcome to that, Sandra? Okay, so I'm not saying that's wrong, but how do, can you see if he answers that? And here's my only point. It, it's kind of hard to, to know if he's doing that. Now, if we have an illness and we are eating specific foods uh, to help us with that specific illness, then I think that's more measurable. I think we can say, Lord, um, help Help me to eat the right foods so that I can combat this Ill, the specific illness. Um, I could see that. But I'm just saying in general, if we're praying for God to strengthen us or to help us by giving the food, there's not normally a way to be able to measure that. So... Let's, let's put our, uh, our, our thinking hats on, and whoever was in the class knows some of the ideas that uh, we came up with. But what are some, consider for a minute, when we're praying for a meal, what are some actual outcomes that we could see God answer in association with praying for a meal and what is going on in that time. Millie? Okay, so that he would continue to supply? That he supplied for that day. Okay, so, so yeah, there's a Thanksgiving. 
Right, yeah. So there is a thanksgiving that he did supply that need. But what's an outcome that we can pray for? We could pray for continued supply. And, you know, forgive me if I'm harsh about this. I don't think any of us are going without food anytime soon. So, again, not to say that we couldn't pray for that, but generally speaking, we all have enough food, so that's not something where we would necessarily see him working in it because we have the ability in and of ourselves to get that food. Jim. Yeah, and there are definitely aspects of which we should be aware of of the opportunities to help people. And we should pray for those things. But specifically, when we pray for our meals, what are some outcomes that we could pray for? Rob? Well, the fact that we stay alive is a pretty good outcome. I mean, without nutrition, you know, people can't process food. So, I mean, the fact that we're alive and eating, again, is a praise and a thanksgiving, but it's not necessarily a given. The main reason we eat is to stay alive. I mean, if we take it out of the basement. All right, so let, let's, let's use that as a springboard. What if we prayed, Lord, help me to eat in such a way that I have the ability to serve you more, that I have the energy that I need, and that I would be more cheerful when my, in my interactions with others. Is that an outcome? Is there a direct impact with what we eat and how we feel and how we react with others? I would say so. And, you know, maybe that means not having two bowls of ice cream. Maybe that means not um, just eating fast food. Uh, you know, you don't you understand what I'm saying? We're looking for a specific outcome. And here's the main point, and then I'll come back to you. The outcome should honor God. We should be looking for outcomes that are going to please Him and honor Him in how he does that work. Evan? I was just going to say the, the whole premise um, of why there should be an outcome is, again, going back to we're not changing God. This is to change us. So, thanking God for our food is great, but how can we see his work more clearly in our lives? Exactly. So, I think this is where... The, the foundation of this question is, is it possible to thank God for a meal and not really mean it? Absolutely. And, again, I don't know everyone else's heart, but I do know my own, and if I fall into a pattern of saying the same thing when I pray, even if it meant something at the beginning, doesn't usually mean something the fifth or sixth or you know four hundredth time. 
Rob? Since you're forcing us to think about it, uh, which is good, um, I guess a person could pray during mealtime to bring forward someone, whether by name or generality, that can, 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 we can invite into our home for a meal or that I can take to the restaurant for a meal, not necessarily because they don't have resources, but as a witness opportunity or a fellowship opportunity, I guess one could say, bring forward that idea of sharing time in a meal with someone like that. that Absolutely. Absolutely. Recognizing the fact that, at minimum, I don't know the rest of the world, but at minimum in America, a time of eating is a time of generally some type of uh, gathering, right? Even if it's uh, just with your, your spouse or with your children, um, or maybe it's with a friend, in, you know, unless you live alone, sorry, but uh, you know, generally speaking, there's going to be opportunities to eat with other people. And if we are eating with other people, if they're Christians, then we can definitely look for opportunities to encourage them. If they're unsaved, then I, hopefully we have an opportunity to uh, be a, a good testimony to them and to even share the gospel with them. So absolutely, as we're eating meals, consider, Lord, help me to think who I can have a meal with so that you know the next time I eat, I can serve you in some way. Absolutely. That's a, I would say that would be a good thing to pray as you're eating, as you're being reminded of what's going on with that food. And don't get me wrong, there, it's not like there's you know, four things that are the only things that you can pray for while you're eating. My challenge is just that we start to think about it so that when we're praying for a meal, we're not just, thank you, Lord, for this food. Help us to be a blessing to my body. Give me strength. Amen. Right? Because, you know, I could be wrong, but I would say generally speaking, I don't think that's a very honoring prayer to God. I would say generally speaking, that is vain repetition. And that is something that uh, we'll get to if we get there today. Any other thoughts on things that we could pray for during a meal even? Rob? Yeah. So uh, again, great, great point. Great point. As we eat and we thank God sincerely for the fact that we are not going without food, we can remember those who are. And we can pray specifically that he would provide food for them. We could pray specifically that he would use us to help others that don't have food. So yeah, and that's my point. When, we, when we're sitting down to eat, don't just fall into the normal trap of, you know, saying a canned prayer. Be thoughtful. Think about how you can seek an outcome with your prayer that would honor God and use that food to be a trigger to remind you of the, the different things that you could pray for.
He gives a quote from Spurgeon that says, if we, if we would prevail, we must persist. We must continue incessantly and constantly and know, and know no pause to, to our prayer till we win the mercy to the fullest possible extent. Men ought to always pray, week by week, month by month, year by year. The conversion of that dear child is to be the father's main plea. But brethren, how many times we ask God and have not because we do not wait long enough at the door. This was a very convicting thing for me because I know I've prayed for people, I've prayed for circumstances at different times, and then maybe after six months, maybe after five years, at some point, I get this thought in my head like, okay, I guess God's not going to answer it, and I stop praying about it. I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I believe now, and I'm more convicted, that if God puts something on our heart to pray for, we should continue to pray until he answers it or until we don't have the ability to pray anymore. So if there's somebody or something that you've been praying about and it's a good thing, it's a thing that you know would honor God, salvation of a lost person, uh, uh, maybe some type of growth, uh, overcoming a, a certain struggle in your life, I encourage you to persist in prayer. Continue knocking because Jesus is home. He is absolutely home and he is going to answer at some point. So don't give up. He says, when we are praying for something good, we should continue to pray for it until he answers us, which again I just said, or until he changes our hearts, convincing us that we don't need that thing, which is another possibility, right? We might, and I, I think this is more towards um, material things. You know, we ask God to provide, maybe it's money, maybe it's uh, a house, a car, maybe it's health. And we pray about those things over and over again. And I do think in some cases, he does change our hearts so that we realize, you know what, I don't need that thing. I can still trust him. I can still obey him without that thing. And he changes our hearts to pray for something different, maybe that we need even more. Uh, so, for example, going through the George Mueller book has been great. Uh, one of the things that you don't get in the copy that we have is he does this hour-long, uh, on the audio book, this hour-long kind of message about stewardship. And it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. So much good information about stewardship. And, you know, it's made me think, in many cases, we pray about material things. And it seems like if we are seeking God and praying for material things, Sometimes he changes our heart to where we stop praying for that material thing and we notice that he's building trust in our hearts. He's building faith in us and we start praying more about that thing. Lord, even if you don't give me this thing, give me more faith. Help me to trust you more. Help me to obey you more. Um, 
If you give me that, fine. But I don't. I know I don't need it. I know I need to trust you more. I know I need to obey obey you more. So, um, if you have access to uh, a library, you can get the audio book, and it is this chapter. I think it's chapter 17, if I remember correctly. Anyways, it's all on stewardship, and it is amazing. He says, as your life is filled with the Spirit, and as you walk in obedience to him, he will govern your thoughts so that your prayers will be in harmony with his. So how do we do this? How, do we, how are we filled with the Spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit so that our prayers are in harmony with his? We've already talked about it. I just want to make sure everybody remembers. What are the things that we need to do that our life should be filled with as a Christian? Devin? Absolutely. So, for the message today... Uh, we're going to look at a very well-known uh, story in the New Testament and kind of go a little bit deeper. And what I'm hoping, and I'll end up saying this so you guys get a preview, uh, what I'll, I'll mention is my hope is that we see the nuggets of gold that are there when we dig deeper. I, I was convicted about this years ago where, yeah, I would read the Bible in a year, but that's it. That's all my reading was. And I'm not saying that can't have an impact on you, but when you're not meditating on Scripture, when you're not digging into it and and you know reading the study notes and listening to messages on it and really trying to gain uh, a solid understanding of it there's so much that is missed so as we do that we do what Romans 12:2 says and that is we renew our minds the more exposure we have to scripture the more time we spend with Christians, the more time we are thinking about God, he renews our mind so that we are making more decisions that are in line with his. But yes, to say it plainly, if we don't know what the Bible says, we're not going to be able to do what God wants us to do. All right. We are at our end. Any final thoughts? We finished chapter one. This is, you know, uh, similar to us being downstairs, right? It took us two weeks to get through chapter one. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of prayer. I thank you for your grace that you show us when we pray. Thank you for continuing to draw us close to you, continuing to allow us to 
understand you, and to gain greater communion with you. Please convict our hearts where we are sinning in our prayer, whether it be through vain repetition or um, not praying and believing what we're saying, not praying for outcomes so that we can see you work. Lord, help us to see the areas where you want us to change. Pray this, Father, for your glory.